Hi, thanks for joining us this morning. We're really glad to have you. My name is Will, and whether you're watching this in the morning or the evening or whenever you're able to engage with it, I hope that it can be helpful for you and stir your worship for God today. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33, so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, you can get there. It's right, uh, right at the very front of your Bible, Exodus chapter 33. It's the second book of the Bible, and um, that's where we're going to be spending our time today. While you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. Just if, if God came to you today and He said, I'll give you anything you want. You can only have one thing, but I'll give you anything you want. What would you ask for? What would be that one thing that you would say, God, I must have this? So even take, take a minute and reflect on that. Think about that. You can push pause on this if you're watching it uh, not live. You know, if you can watch it another time, push pause and, and ask yourself, what would you ask God for? You see, there's lots of things that you could want, lots of really, really good things out there, really, really good requests that you can make of God. But what do you need most? What would you say you need most? What would you insist that you must have? And the frustrating reality for my own heart in this, it's almost inconvenient reality, is, is that when, you, when it comes down to it, what you want most from God actually reveals your God who your true God is, what you want most from this God of the Bible, uh, what, what we want most from Jesus, uh, that actually reveals our true God. The way that Shai Lin, a Christian rapper who I really love, the way that he says this is, um, if you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Do you track with what he's saying? You could fill in the blank with a million other things besides money. If you come to Jesus for fill in the blank, then Jesus isn't your God fill-in-the-blank is actually your God. But over and over again, in God's Word, it teaches us that He is our reward. He is what we are most made to enjoy. His presence is what we are designed for. That's what we looked at last week That in Psalm 1611, and His presence is the fullness of joy, the maximum experience you can actually have as a human being. It's not away from God's presence, but in His presence. So often that's not actually the way that we live our lives. We don't insist on His presence in our lives. We pursue other things. We don't pursue His presence above all else, fight for it uh, above everything else. And so what I want to look at today and I want to lead us into is, is asking this question, why those who know God best pursue His presence the most? Why do those who know God best pursue His presence the most? And then for you in particular, I want you to consider uh, what we're going to walk through, what, what is actually holding you back from insisting on God's presence in your life? What is actually holding you back from insisting on God's presence in your life? And so again, Exodus chapter 33, there's a lot that's happened in Exodus leading up to chapter 33. And so even if you're new to the Bible or to the gospel of Jesus, you have likely heard a lot of this story. It's it, Blockbuster movies have been made about the book of Exodus. Uh, you know, it's the, the whole thing's about God's, about an exit of God's people out from the oppression uh, to an Egyptian pharaoh and slavery that they were living in, out from that oppression into this wilderness. And so uh, the, the miraculously, God sends these plagues on Egypt, and then God's people are led out from Egypt through the Red Sea. The whole ocean, whole sea is kind of split apart, and then God's people are able to walk through on dry land, and the strongest army in the world is breathing down their necks, and, and water comes crashing in behind the people of Egypt, defeating all of their enemies. And, uh, and then they're led out to Mount Sinai, where they get to actually engage with God Himself. 
And so what you may not realize is that all of these things are not just kind of crazy stories all stacked up, that they're all part of a larger story, even with, within Exodus and, and within the whole scriptures. It's about uh, a God rescuing a people to be with him, to be in his presence. That's what you see over the course of Exodus is that God is leading his people, not just out from oppression to Egypt, but into his presence. And so when they get to Mount Sinai, God delivers these Ten Commandments, which you can probably name at least a few of them. And, and those function really like a charter for a new country, a new nation, a new kingdom. And so God says, you're not underneath the rule of Pharaoh anymore. You have a new king, a new country, a new nation. And so God established them as his own people. And what's unique even with the Ten Commandments is that God gives those to his people after he's rescued them out from oppression, right? Out from slavery. Already they have been rescued. Then he calls them to obedience. And so they receive the commandments. God then, which is kind of a terrifying moment. It's like, you know, thunder, lightning, trumpets are blowing, most intense morning of your life. Like all of this is happening. The Israelites are standing there just shaking with fear because of the, really the wonder of who God is. And so they receive and hear these 10 commandments, but then God calls Moses up onto the mountain to fully kind of flesh out the law. And so uh, he's up there for, for a while. Right, And so the people of Israel get a little bit antsy. And so Moses, he's their only connection with God. you got to realize this, that they, they're coming out from you know, generations of slavery in Egypt. They come out here. Now they're in the middle of nowhere following this guy, Moses, who actually was in another place for like 40 years and came back, rescues them from slavery, leads them out in the middle of nowhere, and then he disappears to the top of a mountain for one week. And then another week, and then another week, and then another week, and he's still up there, and there's no sign of him, and it's not like he, like, took a pack where he's like, okay, he's got, you know, some granola bars and stuff. He can maybe last for 40 days up there. They weren't, he didn't have anything, and so they get a little bit antsy down at the base of this mountain in the middle of nowhere, and I think, honestly, like, our moment of quarantine might actually give you some, uh, allow us to identify with this, the weirdness of where they're at. You know, they're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. A month feels like a year, and so what they do in the midst of this moment is they actually just abandon this whole thing. They pressure Aaron, who's Moses's cousin. He's like, hey, Aaron, you're one of the leaders around here. Why don't you, and you're like the priest guy, so maybe you can just make some new gods for us. Uh, how about that, Aaron? And if not, you know, we'll just oust you. If we need some new gods, you make them, Aaron. And so he does. Um, and and they, they go wholesale in rewriting their own past even, their immediate past. They say, they say actually, you know what, forget this Yahweh, this God who let us out. We, you know what, these gods, they brought us up from Egypt. These ones we just made, Aaron made for us. That's our, those are our new gods. And so they really just abandon this whole thing in the midst of their waiting. And so Moses comes back down the mountain 40 days later and uh, he comes down to basically a big party where they're worshiping these new gods. And he shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on? Have you guys lost your minds? What are you doing? Except he's a lot more irate than that. He does some crazy stuff. He like melts down this calf. He like grinds it down into the water, makes them drink the water, um, puts everybody under martial law. And he, he has a really serious response to this, um, to this abandonment of Yahweh, you know, to their God. And, um, 
and so they, they, uh, the, the response, I think, is so strong because they were on the verge of basically undoing all that God had been doing in the first 31 chapters of Exodus. They were willing to throw it all away and follow a false god uh, just because of their waiting. And so what happens is Moses goes back up the mountain to see if he can atone for the sin of the people. He sees the seriousness of it, and he says, I'm going to see what I can do about this. I'm going to go back up the mountain. I'm going to talk to God and see if somehow I can make this right for you. And um, even though they had abandoned God, maybe God would not now abandon them. So that's what they're kind of in this moment of waiting to see what's going to happen in the midst of their faithlessness. And so that's where we're at, Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. So we're going to jump in right there. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And so what's happening here? What's happening in this, uh, these few verses? Uh, basically God says, All right, you guys, uh, you guys can go on. Depart from here, this Mount Sinai campsite you've had. Depart. Go up to the place that I set aside for you, uh, to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I am not coming with you. You can have everything you ever wanted. I'm going to drive out your enemies. You will be in control. The, the land has everything you ever wanted. You will have comfort. Uh, you'll be the envy of powerful nations all around you. You will have their approval, but you won't have me. You'll have control and comfort and approval and money and so power, uh, but you won't have me. And do you see the Israelites' response to this? Do you see what they said? When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. When they heard this disastrous word, he says, you can have it all, but you can't have me. And that crushed them. They were crushed by this. And so the, as I was engaging with this text and thinking about it, I just was I'm thinking that if, if we're honest, uh, I think there are a lot of people today who, who would look at the deal that God made with Israel and they, they would take it without missing a beat. They would look at this deal and they would say, I'll take that. And so whatever your land of milk and honey is, whatever uh, you're following Jesus in order, in order to get from Him, apart from Him, uh, if we're honest, we might take that deal. If God walked in your house today and said, you can have everything you ever dreamed of, but you can't have me, would we take the deal? And I think a lot of us would. And I think what that actually reveals is a failure to understand and to recognize, to worship God's glory, His value, His worth to see Him for all that He is. 
because this is, I'm not just talking about people who are outside of the church, outside of a Christian faith. A lot of folks um, saying that they're worshiping God today. A lot of people that t- today are saying that they are worshiping God would take that deal. And uh, if that's you, if, if you, if maybe even if that's just somewhere in your heart, you, you recognize, hey, I, I think I might. I think the place I'm at with God today is I would take that deal. If I'm really honest, not saying what I'm supposed to say, but what I really would do, I would take the deal. And so if that's you, I just really want to gently say to you today, just tell you that I think your religious activity is just superstition. So when we're in the place where we're actually going to take that deal, I think our religious activity, the things that we're, the motions that we're going through are nothing more than superstition. And uh, I'm not saying you don't have a genuine faith or uh, you're a total pagan or something. Uh, I just think that, that, that there's a chance uh, that today maybe God could call you back to seeing him the way that the Israelites saw him in these moments, the way that Moses saw him in these moments. Uh, when their worship was drifting, they got a renewed view of his glory. And so I, I, I was watching recently uh, in the, with my wife. My wife and I watched this documentary called Cheer. And I'm not necessarily recommending it to you, but it was super interesting. You know, it's about this cheerleading squad from Navarro Junior College, which is in Corsicana, Texas, just down the road. And what is strange is that Navarro Junior College has one of the most elite cheerleading teams in all of the country. And so that is surprising on so many levels, but nevertheless, it's true. And what's interesting is just all of the superstition that you see them uh, acting out over the course of this uh, series, but mainly as they're drawing closer and closer to their performance, uh, the, the national championships, which is really just the one performance they have for the whole year. Everything rides on two minutes that they have to, to perform. And so there's a ton of uh, pressure and emotion packed into these two minutes. And as they're building closer and closer to it, their superstitions around being successful come out show more and more so they'll do certain handshakes in a certain way or you know when they get to daytona beach which is where the competition is they won't go in the water unless they win and so uh, their coach even buys into this so much so that she was like you know we lost for a couple of years and i think it might have been that maybe it was that somebody went in the water uh, beforehand and so they really believe these superstitions these things that they're doing outside that they're trying to gain control over these minutes that are so scary to them that feel uh, so pressure packed and so momentous and honestly i really get it because as a kid you're not going to meet somebody who's more superstitious than i was uh, part of that's just because baseball was a big part of my life and you baseball players get really superstitious and, and it's just um, trying to trying to get your mind right ahead of a very kind of pressure packed moment and so, but that didn't just stay in sports for me. It actually bled into my whole life to the point where there was, there was a season in my life where moment to moment, I was just living out one superstition after the other because these superstitions were a way for me to gain control in a world that seemed out of control. As a kid who was really scared, it was a way for me to feel safe because I thought I could be in control. And that's actually what is behind superstition it's just you're trying to do something, take something on that you're gonna, maybe if I turn this on and turn this off this many times, or maybe if I uh, wash my hands this many times or in this way, open the door this way, that maybe I can avoid this thing happening to me. You know, and, and maybe, maybe you're not superstitious um, in weird things like I did as a kid that was pretty OCD, 
But that's ultimately what our religious activity is. It's nothing more than superstition. We're just going through the motions to try to get what we really want. And so when you do the math at a soul level, when you peel back enough layers to see what you will insist on having in your life, you'll find out who you really think is God. Because that thing that you insist on, the thing that you're going to go through the motions in order to try to get, that is your God. And so what's fascinating, again, with this cheer documentary, that one of the storylines I found really fascinating is that these kids from all over the country coming to Nowheresville, Texas, what is driving them to come there? And, and it's not just that it's cheerleading, it's validation that they're coming for. So many of these kids are really, really deeply wounded, like deep wounds, and they're looking for validation. And Navarro, shockingly, um, can validate them as cheerleaders. Uh, but more than that, it's not just the sport, it's their coach. She is so revered, she is so respected, and she's the first person to see them and validate them as people. For, for a lot of them, it's really true. And so somebody who's great sees something in me. And so we settle for validation from these lesser gods. But what we see for God's people, for the Israelites, and now for us as Jesus's community, his people, his church, his family, our validation, our identity has always come from his presence. Look at this. That's what makes us distinct. In Exodus 33, if you drop down to verses 15 and 16, look at this. This is Moses talking with God again. In verse 15, it says, And he said to him, Moses speaking to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses wouldn't take the deal. He said, If your presence is not going to go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses knew that God's presence defined them as God's people. And I think what made Moses and the Israelites insist on God's presence being with them, not moving away from that, was his glory. The next verse, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said in response to this, Please show me your glory. That's what I want to see, God. I want to see and worship your glory. And so we, as as followers of Jesus, as maybe somebody who's just tuning into this because you're scared or lonely or bored. We forget who we're dealing with. And so what we settle for are these little paradises without God's presence. We try to settle for a paradise, a land of milk and honey without God's presence, which always has been a lie. That's been the lie that's been told to us over and over again from the very beginning to our Adam and Eve in the garden. It was that you could have paradise apart from God's presence. And so this thing, I'm just now like just thinking for your own life, what is that thing that's just out of your reach that if you could finally grab it, then you'd be happy? What is that thing that's just on the horizon if you could just obtain that or attain to that, that you would finally be happy? 
And what I want to tell you today, if you can zero in on that thing, I just want you to know that that's a mirage. If your eyes are set on that thing, I'm telling you it's a mirage. You can know for certain that it's a mirage, that it's not going to do for you what it's promising to do for you, what you're hoping it will give you. It will not give you because somebody else already has it and it wasn't enough for them and it won't be enough for you. Validation through your work, through relationships with others. Maybe it's validation in social media. They build in these little hearts and these little likes, these little ways to kind of give you these hits. And uh, maybe, maybe it's just having a status. If you think social media status is silly, I don't know that uh, vehicle or home or school status is less silly. Who defines you? What makes you distinct from every other person on the earth? And I, I would encourage you to really reflect on that. And I'd encourage you to be careful about how you answer because there are a lot of people in this world who are putting weight. They're putting weight on things that can't hold the weight. They're putting weight on things that can be taken away very easily. You see, presence or paradise without presence is a disaster. That's what the Israelites said. And eternally, Paradise without presence is called hell. And so a lot, of, a lot of you, I don't think it's necessarily that you are forgetting God's glory. Maybe God is glorious to you. He is amazing and uh, you see his worth and value, but it just seems too great for you. And you don't insist on God's presence in your life because you don't believe that you are welcomed into it. You don't insist on it because you forget how God insisted on it for you. You see, Moses was Israel's mediator. If you read 32 through 34 of Exodus, those chapters, you're going to see he just was functioning as their mediator. He was going between these people and God, going between these people and God. And what he was doing was actually insisting on God, bringing all of those people with him. God said, I'll take you, Moses, but I'm going to leave them. And Moses says, I, I, I won't go without them. Will you please bring them? Will you please bring them? And he was even willing to die in order to bring them with him. To, to say, take me or, I, I, you know, whatever it means, whatever I need to do to get these people to your presence, I want to do that. And in chapter 32, that's what he had gone up to do to make atonement for their sin. He was willing to give himself up for God's people. But what's interesting is God wouldn't let him do it. God responded and said, whoever has sinned against me, that person I will blot out of the book of life. Out of my book is what he says. And so the truth is, if you lean into it, that Moses couldn't afford the bill. He was willing to pay it, but he couldn't afford it. After Moses came down in the, in the chapters that follow, God institutes a sacrificial system that was put in place as a placeholder. God says, I'm going to make a way for you to atone for these sins, but it's just a placeholder until somebody who can actually pay the bill would come. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 says. It says it this way in verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
is a placeholder. Moses was a good mediator, but he wasn't the ultimate one. That's why in Revelation, God speaks about this book again, but he calls it the Lamb's book of life. And you won't be blotted out because God has insisted on you being welcomed in. You won't be blotted out because your mediator paid in full all that would keep you from God's presence once and for all. And so what you got to know is that no one has, uns- has insisted on God's presence for you more than God himself. And so whatever voice is whispering you, I know this voice, I hear this voice. It whispers in your ear that you're not welcome with him, that he won't receive you this time. He won't forgive you this time. That if he really knew what you did, that if he really knew what you said, how faithless you really were, then he wouldn't want you to be with him. Defy that voice because God already knows. He tells us that in the cross, you are worse than you could ever imagine. You are worse off. You were more of a sinner in need of more grace than you could ever imagine, but you've been loved more than you could ever imagine in Jesus. You didn't just need a little little bit of help. You needed the Son of God to die for you, and He did. And so Moses was Israel's mediator. He insisted on God bringing them with him, and he was willing to die to bring them with him. But Jesus wasn't just willing. He actually did it. And so I'm saying today that we, that you and I, don't insist on God's presence in our lives day in and out, day in and day out because our view of his glory, of his value, of his goodness gets obstructed. It gets obstructed. Something's getting in the way of you actually being able to see and worship and for all that he is, something's getting in the way of that for you. And then something's getting in the way, something's obstructing your trust in his grace and in his mercy. So something's getting the, the you know, robbing you of the view of his glory and, and, and robbing you of trusting in his grace and mercy for you. And so that's why my own life, and I'm wanting to lead you to in your own life, make space. You've got to make space to see and taste and experience God's glory to be stirred to worship his greatness and then you've got to make space to receive his grace towards you his grace specifically for you for the thoughts and attitudes and actions of your life that would keep you hinder you from entering his presence you need space to see his glory and then to receive his grace and so what you need to do when this ends when you're done maybe maybe sometime today you need to get out your calendar and look at the week ahead and you need to actually if if your spouse is willing to do it with you you should do that together if not just do it on your own but you need to find a daily space to talk with God and commit to it probably in the beginning and in the end of the day if you could and then you need a space to listen to him and to read his words for you insist on it, fight for it, pursue it. Because in those places, you're gonna be reminded of his greatness and his glory and then of his grace for you. If you have small kids, you'll need to do this together with your spouse, do that as a team. It's gonna take teamwork to have one another's backs so you can root for that in one another. You need space probably to have a conversation, an intentional conversation about God's grace in your life with somebody this week. 
But my hope is that you'll insist on God's presence, not in just the big moves. If you're like, God, do you want me to take a new job? Do you want me to marry this person? Do you want me to do this? But in the little moves of your life, in the day in, day out responses to things, your meetings you're having with people, the meals that you're eating, whatever it is that you're doing, that you would insist on God's presence being with you in that. And because of his glory and because of his grace, you can sing this anthem that I've been singing the last couple of days. It's written by some friends of mine and it says, if you're not here, I don't want to be. I won't be moved unless you move. I want you more than the air I breathe. I need you. I need you. And so just to close, I'll tell you one more time that Moses was a good mediator, but they needed a better one. And you see Moses, when he asked to see God's face or to see his glory, what God said is you can see everything but my face. You can't see my face. It'll kill you. And what I found was just so amazing is that we have this mediator in Jesus who can bring us into God's presence in ways that Moses never could. If you look in Revelation chapter 22, talking about heaven, talking about this destiny that we have. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Talking about heaven. And and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And His names will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord their God. Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. If his presence is not here, I don't want to be. Let's not move unless he moves. I want to take a minute and just pray with you, if you would. If you'd pray through these things, I think that would be the time, the way to close. And so actually take a minute and, and pray through these things. I'll lead you through it. What, what land of milk and honey, what paradise are you tempted to settle for apart from God's presence? Would you you take a minute and just admit that to God? Confess that to Him. What are you longing for that has somehow made its way in front of His presence in your life? Then what, what sin and shame are you carrying with you today that Jesus has paid for in full? Where do you need to trust in Jesus as your mediator with our holy and perfect God? Take a minute. What, what is actually keeping you from, maybe you're reluctant to enter his presence because you don't know if you belong there. And the last thing I'll ask you is, is who, who, are you longing, uh, who are you longing for to get a glimpse of God's glory and His grace this week? Who are you longing for to see His glory and His grace this week? To know the mediator that we have in Jesus. To insist on His presence in somebody else's life. Who's, who, just if you could, who's, whose life would you insist on God's presence entering into this week? And take a minute and pray for them. Pray for the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Maybe, maybe if you're not there, pray for just a gospel renewal in your own heart that would bleed out uh, into your conversations. But maybe think about who God would call you to. Who's, who's He wanting you to share the gospel with this week that His presence would enter in their life?
Heavenly Father, we want to worship you for all that you're worth and all that you are. Like Moses, we want to say, will you, will you help us to see your glory so we can worship you? We want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us, that we aren't like Israel. We don't stand there wondering, what are you going to do with us anymore? We know it's been paid in full, and so we will be welcomed in for eternity, and we will see your face. Thank you that you see us and that you know us and that there's nothing hidden from you and that your forgiveness and that your grace and mercy are enough for us today. Would you take this message and make it powerful in our lives this week, this month, this season of our lives? And would you bring about revival and renewal through these truths, through your word? Would you bring renewal and revival? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, church. Thanks for being with us today.